We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Today I have Amy Darling sharing a cup of tea with me here on the show. Amy is a practitioner of East Asian medicine, which for those of you who don't live on the West Coast, means that she practices acupuncture and the herbal medicine that originated in China and spread throughout that part of the world. In addition to being a practitioner, Amy is also a longtime practitioner of Zen meditation, which some people say is really good for nothing, but as it's almost (laughs) impossible... You find that funny. Oh, that's a great, great beginning. Beautiful. Beautiful. But it's, it's interesting because, you know, in many ways people say, medi- well, the Zen people in particular say meditation's good for nothing. Mm. And yet at the same time, you open up any newspaper, you look at any magazine, you watch TV, certainly on the internet, everywhere you see all this information. I, in fact, I saw some today about how uh, meditation, they've, they've discovered at Harvard how they've done this with MRIs or something like that, that eight weeks of meditation will actually fundamentally change the gray matter in your brain Mm -hmm. and create more connections between the right and left side of your brain. Yeah. So the Zen folks are saying, you know, meditation is good for nothing. And yet everywhere we look around us, there's all this information that says meditation is really, really, it's better than flossing your teeth. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the last several decades, I would say the, the scientific hard evidence-based scientific sphere has really caught up with several thousands of years of meditation in so many different spiritual traditions uh, and really started demonstrating the physical benefits, the mental benefits, the psycho-emotional benefits. And it's, I think it's pretty hard anymore to say there's a reason not to meditate because all spheres come back saying, yeah, this is going to be good for you. This is going to be good for you. And the trick is then, you know, having people start uh, meditation in some way without a real goal orientation, because I think that that's, that's almost 
supported by the media, this idea of, oh, if I do this for this many weeks, then my blood pressure will drop and this will change. Yeah, I'll have more gray matter. I'll be smarter. <laughs> Exactly. Better looking, loose exactly. weight, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And the reality is that, you know, uh, there are really profound impacts that people experience in relatively short periods of time. So, Amy, this, this to me is a really interesting contradiction, right? That, uh, that on one hand, there's all this hard science that says meditation is good for you. And then you've got these traditions that say, don't do anything but sit. Mm-hmm. Don't, act, don't ask it to give you anything. Yeah, I I guess my most um, I think the essence of how I encourage people to to respond to that is um, to actually not get caught there either. Uh, don't don't think about it too much. Just start sitting. Mm. We can we can puzzle for the rest of our lives reasons to sit or to not sit, and don't be goal oriented, and do be goal oriented, and. And it's like, well, what, what if you just sit down and try? You know, when I, I had been sitting for a year, my last year in uh, undergraduate in college, and when I graduated, I bought myself a, a sitting cushion, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to do this every day from now, and, and I'm just going to see what happens. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Kind of an experiment with you as your own white mouse. Precisely. Me as my own laboratory experiment, which is what I tell my patients, you know, to do with their own bodies and minds. It's just, you know, you alone can know what these experiments will be like in your own body. And I did it. And what was fascinating is after, um, you know, I was just sitting. I wasn't doing it to to accomplish anything. And, And my father one day, after about, I don't know, four or six months he, he, he simply commented, he said, you know, I, I think you're, you're benefiting from this sitting thing that you're doing. <laughs> just, <laughs> I was like, he didn't specify what, he didn't specify how, it's just that that was a, that was a, you know, let's not say objective reflection by a father to a daughter, but, you know, someone outside of myself saying, hey, I think this is actually doing a good thing. He noticed. And so, and so I just kept sitting. Uh-huh. And I, I kept on and on and on and on. How, Amy, how long have you been sitting now? How long have you been doing this practice? Uh, I started in 1996. Wow. So that's like almost 20 years. Uh, I'll let you do the math. Is that it's, right? I'm bad been, with math. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. It's essentially been my adult life. Your adult life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the way I, I like to frame it. Is, uh, someone asked me at some point, well... I don't even remember what the question was, but I was like, you know, I've been doing this for so long. I don't, I can't put myself outside of the framework of sitting because this has been my whole adult life. This is the the foundation or the soil in which my my mind, after the age of twenty, has developed. Yeah. So I'm curious, and we may have had this discussion at one point, but I I, I actually can't remember. Sure. Was there something about your meditative practice that drew you to doing Chinese medicine? actually it was my own uh i had a a health concern that was addressed with chinese medicine um many years ago in the gynecological realm and was addressed with chinese herbs and acupuncture and uh and it really wasn't related to meditation at all if one can say that things are separate Yeah, but it was outside of that. Uh-huh. Outside of that, I will say that at that time, 
I had, I was working as a bereavement counselor at hospice, um, supporting people who'd experienced the death of someone in, in hospice. And one of the things I had observed was how we hold grief in the body. And um, in the last couple of years I was at hospice, I actually worked with a local Tai Chi teacher and we developed a grief support group that integrated Tai Chi into a normal uh, six-week grief group. And that was really inspired by, I didn't understand it. I don't understand it now, but I, I do know that when we hold grief and pain in the body or when we hold grief, sadness, whatever the case may be, things reside in the body. And when we don't move, things get stuck. And that's something you and I see all the time, you know, expressed through the body and physical health. And I think that that's actually, you know, it's kind of an interesting contradiction because on the one hand, sitting meditation is sitting still and not doing anything. But at the same time, if one sits still for even just a second, there's all sorts of movement. There's all sorts of uh, movement of the mind, movement of the body, and it actually can be, I think, a vehicle for allowing things to move as opposed to getting stuck. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. My own experience with sitting is because I'm actually taking a moment to be still, Mm. I will notice all the movement, it could be the way my legs are, the way I hold my head, the way I breathe, the depth of my breath, movement of my mind, whatever. But because I'm being more still, those quieter, smaller movements will show up. You know, it's not unlike walking into a woods and when you stomp into the woods, all the animals shut up. But if you sit there very, very quietly, (laughs) you know, the birds will start rustling and come out from hiding and they'll make noise and, you know, everything, you'll start to see all the things that you can't see if you're not still. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There are a couple of thoughts that come to mind in that respect. There is a, I offer a, a weekly meditation in the building where my clinic is housed in downtown Seattle. And there was a young man who, uh, he had come just once or twice, um, to the, to the sit. And, and I always make myself available for sort of questions afterwards. And he stayed and he said, you know, I, when I sit, I have so much tension in my, my neck and my back. It's so painful. I can't even sit. And I said, you know, chances are, if you really paid attention, that actually that tension is probably with you all the time. Mm. But it's only when you slow down that you actually notice that it's there. And that's really one of the many, uh, what would I say, fruits of um, sitting still and actually not speaking, particularly in longer periods of retreat, is actually just observing, like, what is moving? What comes up? What's stuck? Where's the pain? And and actually looking a little bit more carefully and bringing some awareness to what's actually happening in the body, because we spend a lot of time in our heads so disconnected from this this amazing vessel that we walk around in all the time. True. You know, this, t- this touches, too, on uh, something that my patients bring to me and talk to me about when they've considered meditation, which is they have this idea that it's going to be this nice, quiet, floaty, peaceful <laughs> experience. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> yeah, too bad. Too, give that up. <laughs> you know, and of course, they sit down and immediately their mind is off to the races. Yeah. And my experience... And I want to hear about yours, but, but mm-hmm. my experiences with this is, 
it's only when I start to sit down and get quiet that I actually have a moment to notice just how the wheels have, have already come off the bus. <laughs> and in fact, yeah. the mind, my mind is usually as, as crazy and jumping around in my daily life as it is when I'm sitting and meditating. It's just that when I'm sitting, I notice it. And when I'm driving down the road, it's, it's background noise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you've had experience with this, huh? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think it's, this is a point that's really distressing for a lot of people is that they finally sit down to meditate and they, you know, in, I think in past conversations, you and I have talked about how people say, you know, I tried once and, and my mind wouldn't stop going crazy and, and it's just, you know, moving all the time. And, and that, that is really the nature of the mind. Uh, and we, I think particularly, you know, with all the proliferation of media everywhere about, you know, these blissful looking people sitting still on yoga mats and this and that. And, and they're always half naked too. <laughs> yes, fully, fully transcending the, the physical realm. And, and I think that what, um, what I feel really clear in emphasizing for people is, you know, it's, it's not about arriving at some pristine, sublime state. It's about the return. It's about the return, you know, whatever the object of meditation, the return to the breath, the return to the sensation of your, you know, your body connecting to the chair or to the cushion. It's about the return because the mind is just, it's going to go all over the place. There's no stopping it. That's the nature. It's like an organ, you know, it's like, you know, the heart pumping blood or the lungs pumping organs, like the mind's job is to, to secrete thoughts, and it will do that until we die. And so our job in meditation, at least in my tradition, mm-hmm. is to simply gently guide the mind back to the breath or guide the mind back to the moment, however that one is doing that. And that very action of the return of the gentle, calm, persistent discipline uh, really serves us. So, if I understand you correctly, you're saying that meditation is not so much that nice, quiet, media-enhanced image of sitting peacefully, but more noticing that you've wandered, and it's that it's that moment, that breath, that whatever, where you recognize, ah, I've been away, and you simply come back. You simply come back. You simply come back. And when we train ourselves to do that over time, it, 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 it travels with us. So it's not just on the meditation cushion, but it travels with us when we're responding to email. It travels with us when we're in the car and somebody cuts us off. It travels with us when we're speaking to our children or to our loved ones, when we have a holiday interaction with some family member. I mean, it's mm. like it's with us all the time that heightened sense of, oh, I'm, I'm away. Am I fully here? Can I fully show up here right now? And, and it, it supports that. It supports the showing up here. Well, that showing up here does tend to, uh, in my experience, at least it makes me a little more gentle in my relationships mm-hmm. when I'm not off thinking mm-hmm. about how to, you know, to defend yourself and protect yourself and improve yourself and yeah all, all of that you know yeah. and maybe get a little revenge and maybe you know prove that you're right prove that i'm right exactly yeah yeah exactly. I've, I've experienced that too i'll just kind of drop it 
Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing that I found curious, I also have sort of fallen into the, the Zen tradition. I'm pretty new to it, but that's, that's kind of what led me in. Um, the meditation is with the breath. So you can always come back to the breath. I found it really helpful because for the exact same reason that you were just saying, because the breath is always with us as long as we're alive. Yeah. Anytime it's- I wander away, I'm in an argument with my wife, I'm unhappy in traffic, I, something happens at the clinic, I can always just come back to the breath because the breath is right there. Mm-hmm. It's this like anchor. Yeah. And it's free. It's free. You you, you don't have to get an app for it. You don't have to, you know, be technologically savvy to have it. it it's free. You came in with it. And, uh, and, and one of the things that people find or is oftentimes when they're paying attention to the breath, the breath can be both a barometer of our experience and also a sort of guide into our experience. You know, it's like oftentimes people notice wow, when I'm nervous, I breathe really shallow only in my chest, or I actually stop breathing. That's Mm -hmm. a really common thing for people to notice. And when they, or if I have back pain, you know, I'm not breathing into my belly. And just using the breath as a, um, you know, both sort of a a barometer or thermometer of of what's going on, uh, and also being a guide. Yeah, yeah, very powerful. Yeah. So do you teach your, your patients to meditate? I I teach my patients a lot of different things. I I really approach awareness and meditation um, depending on what I feel an individual needs. So some people are really ready and open to sitting meditation. Some people are really, um, you know, sort of hanging on by the skin of their teeth. And I'll I'll introduce maybe a really simple awareness practice that I wouldn't name meditation. But for example, if I have people who are working in really sort of high level, corporate, stressful, tech craziness, Mm -hmm. uh, just introducing them to with an inhale, drawing their hand into a clenched fist, and with an exhale, releasing really to the very bottom of the breath and, and opening the hand. And that is such a simple exercise that you know, someone may not be interested in or, or even think that they have the capacity to quote-unquote meditate, but mm-hmm. by introducing them to that simple awareness practice, that allows their, uh, you know, allows them to find their way in to, uh, to the breath, to the moment. And for people who are interested and willing and ready uh, for meditation, I'll introduce people to basic breath meditation, either in the context of a session or invite them to the weekly meditation. And there are also, you know, some resources, some instructions that I offer on my website and some MP3. So it's really about finding the sort of what's appropriate to the person, you know, as you and I work with, with individuals all day long, there's not, you know, one of the huge differences between us and, and um, allopathic medicine is, you know, that one size doesn't fit all. No. And so it's really applying. In, 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 in fact, one size doesn't fit us <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. So it's like just really adapting to, uh, as we would, our medicine and, and health to an individual, depending on the circumstances. It's like, okay, what's appropriate for this person? Mm-hmm. 
hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. So what, what do you tell your, the people that are trying to do some seated breath meditation and they, and they come in and they, they say, I, I'm just bored out of my mind. I just can't stay with it. Mm. What, uh, have you got some thoughts about that? Which yeah. is, you know, I mean, that's basically the opposite of what we were just talking about, which mm-hmm. is the wheels have come off the bus and it's careening down the hill without brakes. Yeah, and it's terrifying. And it's terrifying. Uh, boredom might be just on the other side of that. Um, I, I, again, I would apply as the one size doesn't fit all. So it's really going to be what's the, what are the pieces of that equation in the conversation? But I, I think one of the things that we, we live in a time where we are so overstimulated uh, and the culture of our media doesn't make a difference where one lives is all about stimulation, overstimulation. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of leans a little bit into the spiritual existential. uh, So forgive me if I go there for a minute, but, you know, fundamentally we have to find a sense of ease in just being ourselves. And I think that one of the things that our culture currently does is it gives us a lot of ways to distract ourselves from ourselves and to, to distract ourselves from just being uh, curious and open. And so in, in exploring boredom with people, you know, first and foremost, and exploring anything in meditation, I'm sure that this is, you know, a, a sort of teacher or an approach that you've encountered is you know, what happens to any sensation when we just get curious and open? Like even boredom. Mm. Okay. What does that feel like? What does that feel like in the body? What does that feel like in the mind? And, and if you get curious and open, what does that actually feel like? And exploring it and getting curious as opposed to, well, this is something I don't like. It's not comfortable. And so therefore I'm going to turn away and I'm going to turn, turn to my iPad and my iPhone and go and check my mail and my texts. So I think that, you know, really engaging curiosity and openness because chances are it's going to change and the wheels are going to come off the bus in a few minutes and then they're going to be distracted by how crazy their mind is anyway. So it's like, you know, if you hang in there, chances are it's going to change. It's going to change anyway. Impermanence. Yeah. 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 The, uh, you know, the thing that you just said about getting curious about it, mm. uh, I suspect really for any of the emotions that come up or any of the feelings that come up in meditation, that curiosity, that sort of inviting them to come and sit on the cushion for a few minutes mm-hmm. and not, not push them away, not run away, not turn away, but just open up that curiosity and be a little inviting. Not that you're inviting it to stay for, you know, eternity, Mm-hmm. but inviting it to stay for the moment. Yeah. See if it actually has something to say. Yeah. And I would say, you know, one of the things to, to be a bit sensitive to in that respect is for people who have any history that they're conscious or unconscious of, of trauma, mm. um, be it in adult life or childhood, um, that, that things can come up in the context of medita- meditation that actually do require some additional support. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really valuable thing to to just name and be aware of that it, it can be really valuable either to share meditation with a peer group or if it feels appropriate at some point to turn to someone who has a bit more experience than yourself, be they a formal teacher or otherwise, because it can be actually quite scary. Like for some people, things can arise in meditation and just having someone to, uh, to sort of validate or explore something with can be valuable in certain circumstances, particularly in the case of trauma. And mm-hmm. so just hold, hold that up for, for however it might serve. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe even get some help with some therapy if, if, exactly, you know, exactly. if that's appropriate. Exactly. You know, and if there's some question in one's own heart about, okay, well, is what I'm experiencing normal? You know, should I just cut it out on the cushion? It's like, well, maybe yes, because we all have our, our, our difficulties that, that we have to sit through and, and doing that with support is valuable, mm-hmm. I think. So, you know, I've, I've noticed this in my own practice, meditative practice, which is not that long, but, but long enough to, to recognize that there are actually times where I think that my sitting is making me more anxious mm-hmm. or, or making me less patient. Tell me, to say more. And, well, I remember there was, there, this was maybe a year ago, and I was, uh, I, I upped my sitting from once a day to twice a day. And I found uh, for a couple of weeks there, after I'd done that, that I was just a bastard in traffic. <laughs> I mean, I was short, I was angry, I was constantly harumphing. Were you... Were you- what was the dedicating the time to sitting putting you in a more time constrained no, position? No, I, I, I think what was happening is I became much more aware mm. of my general level of anxiety and my general level of frustration whenever I'm behind the wheel of a car. Yeah, I don't think. And it, so what it felt like was this stuff is getting worse. Mm-hmm. I think what was happening is I, I was getting a clearer sense of what my, where my set point was. Yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think that one of the maybe distressing uh, things for us is when we sit down and get quiet is we actually observe what's happening in the mind already. Mm. So, you know, for a lot of people, for example, it's judgment. You know, they sit down on the meditation cushion and all they can think of is why is the person beside me breathing so loud or they're sitting wrong or what on earth is that sound outside or da 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 you know fill in the blank yeah. and i think that one of the things that 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 sitting practice has the possi- the potential to do is exactly what you say it's just to to raise our own awareness of that narrative that soundtrack you know, that really quiet soundtrack that's in the background all the time that we're not even aware of. I would say it's had that effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what can be, you know, so people are like, well, why would I want to be more aware that I'm anxious? Or why would I want to be more aware that I'm judgmental? It's that, like, you know, that's a great, it's a great question. I mean, why? <laughs> so that's not the end point, though. It's like, you got to go one step further. If, if we, you know, and here's the crux. The awareness is the the gateway, from my perspective, to more choice. Ah. That that when we're not conscious that that soundtrack is going all the time, then we're just 
you know, we're not even in the driver's seat. It's like we've got the soundtrack is driving the bus, and we're That's just, right. you know, in the back seat. So, so we are at its mercy, basically. We're at its mercy, and then we're just, you know, riding the horse, and the horse is galloping off in whatever direction. But if mm. we, if we actually cultivate some awareness, then it gives us greater choice. Like, oh, there's that soundtrack, mm-hmm. huh? And and in my experience. When we become aware of the soundtrack, then we get to make more choices. And oftentimes those choices inflict less harm on ourselves and others. I had an experience uh, during one of the shashins, which is a concentrated period of meditation. And uh, I went for an interview with one of the teachers. And, and this person was pretty, pretty casual. And uh, so I felt like I could get away with a really bothersome question, right? Because in the Zen tradition, there's, you know, there's all this stuff about being a bodhisattva and saving all sentient beings. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, after about three days of sitting and looking at the wall, um, you have all kinds of crazy stuff that goes through your mind about what, just what the hell you're doing there. And uh, I'm thinking, saving all sentient beings, you know. Now, there's a delusional thought. What's up with this saving all sentient beings? And so I went in there and asked this teacher about that. I said... You know, saving all sentient beings, isn't that a little bit delusional? He says, you know, I heard it a different way. It's saving all sentient beings from me. That's why we sit and meditate. So we do less harm. Hmm. And would hopefully not only do less harm, but actually benefit others. And benefit others. So, Amy, if, if folks are interested, they, they, they want to get started with meditation. They want to maybe give it 30, mm. 60 days, you know, mm. like you were saying earlier on, just, just sit down and be your own lab experiment. Um, yeah. <laughs> if folks want to get started, what would you suggest? Should they get a CD? Should they do a guided meditation? Should they learn some breath meditation? What's, uh, what's a good way to, to begin to engage this process? Yeah, I, what I would say is first and foremost, choose something that is realistic for their, an individual's life. So, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people who think, oh, I have to do this, you know, 30 minutes twice a day for the rest of my life. And it's like, well, what's realistic for your life? And, you know, if you're a professional working parent of two children is a half an hour twice a day, really realistic. So, you know, I'm always trying to encourage people to, to choose something that they can start and do try five minutes a day mm. and and try sitting and just observing the breath five minutes a day and and do it every day so you know it's hard for us to say i i don't have five minutes you know 15 minutes might feel even a little insurmountable but five minutes it's pretty hard for most people to say they don't have five minutes a day so True enough you know, sort of taking away, you know, because one of the things that's relatively important to me is just sort of taking, <laughs> taking away obstacles uh, for people. So trying to have people not put up obstacles for themselves. So, you know, don't worry about making it to the group or to this particular thing or that thing. Like just start with five minutes sitting down and watching the breath every day. And then maybe if you feel inspired, well, then you could bump it up to 10 minutes. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many resources. There are all sorts of mindfulness apps and things, for example, that will like do a little bell 
uh, randomly throughout the day just to, to encourage you to pay attention. Uh, there are all sorts of, um, you know, on my own website, there are some MP3s. There are endless guided meditations out there in the world. Uh, over time, I, people can experiment and explore, you know, different things that work for them. But in, in the starting, really keeping it super simple. And, you know, one thing I think can happen for people is they get discouraged by a lot of things you and I have talked about, you know, be it boredom or the mind going crazy and, and, and not allowing that to be its own obstacle. Like not saying, oh, I can't do this. I, I should just abandon it. But actually say, okay, what if I decide I'm going to do this five minutes a day for a month and I just do it. Mm. And I don't worry what happens. I don't worry about, am I doing this right? I just really focus on sitting and watching the breath. This is kind of the way we began this conversation. <laughs> kind With of funny. Just really not asking for it to do anything. Just just sit down and do it and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And And I think understanding, too, and maybe this is a kind of funny thing, but to understand that there's actually nothing... Um, wrong or special about them <laughs> it's like oftentimes we start sitting and they think oh my mind's going crazy or it's doing this like there's something must be something wrong with me well it's like no there's actually nothing wrong or special about you your mind is functioning the way that everybody else's mind was which is crazy and so just sit and watch it for five minutes and see what happens now that's that's a slightly different take on life because most of us don't sit down for a moment just to watch what our own mind is doing. Yeah. I mean, and it certainly, seems very, certainly not in this culture. I mean, that's no. surprised in this culture. It seems counterintuitive. Although I think increasingly, you know, there is, um, there is so much research out. And again, this touches on, on sort of where we began. There's so much research out there supporting how powerful meditation is neurobiologically, physiologically, psychologically. I mean, it's just so powerful as a sort of self-administered medicine for supporting the body, the body-mind, the heart-mind. And you can do it anywhere. You can do it anywhere. As long as you got a breath. As <laughs> long as you got a breath, yeah. Ah, wonderful. Well, Amy, thank you so much for uh, a little time together. Tea, tea in remote time zones. Yeah, it's been a joy. Yeah. Been a joy. I just want to remind listeners that on the show notes uh, for this show is contact information for Amy, uh, her website. Uh, we can point you to those PDFs that she was talking about and other resources so that if you want to start practicing hanging out with your own mind for five minutes a day, you'll, you'll have some resources. And I would just say one more closing thing is just, you know, if people are interested over time, eventually it can be really valuable to share silence with other people. And there are a lot of, it doesn't have to be in any particular tradition. It could be in the silence of a church. It could be in a synagogue. It could be in a Quaker meeting house. It could be in a meditation group. But to, to know that at some point, it may be really supportive to share, share practice with others. Mm, great. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right, Amy, it's been a delight. Absolutely. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, 
click on the iTunes review button and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week. Thank you.